Welcome back to Gale Force Winds Season 3. NLCA Build 2023, May 2nd to 3rd, from the NLCA Center of Ecovation, Newfoundland's largest commercial industrial construction trade expo, showcasing the latest equipment advances and newest technology applications. All right, we'll get right to it, sir. Uh, I'm Alan Dale, this is Jerry Crew, we are Gale Force Winds, and what a pleasure it is to be in conversation with General Rick Hillier. Sir, you have made a great impact to our country and you continue to do so. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Rick Hillier before you joined the military? Well, there's actually very little to tell about Rick Hillier, I guess. You know, I, I, like, I had a wonderful childhood. I grew up in a family of uh, six children, very typical in Newfoundland, of course, that, that large a family, and many were bigger, in fact. My family had me as a boy and five sisters, four of which are older than me, so a little bit of a different uh, different upbringing, if you will. I was the second youngest. Uh, and I'll tell you this, my, my sisters used to refer to me, in fact, still do a little bit as King Richard, because uh, I was the apple of my mom's eye, I think. And because I was that only boy and, and therefore for me being their eyes, got a little preferential treatment from time to time. I uh, love growing up in Newfoundland. I love the carefree, but still enclosing sort of atmosphere, you know, in the small community of Camelton where you went out, you lived outdoors, you lived outdoors in the summertime and you were into the woods and you were up in the uh, in, in the brook or the river swimming or you're out in boat a little bit and wintertime skating and, and doing all of those things. And it seemed we weren't constrained at all in, in what we did and where we did it. As long as you, know, you, you were back for your meals, you were back in the evening and you didn't wander too far or do something really stupid because then somebody would make sure mom and dad knew about it and we'd pay that little price. So it was a wonderful, growing up in Newfoundland. It was absolutely wonderful. And I wish that our grandchildren and, and folks around could have that opportunity right now, because now it's so constrained in so many ways. Thanks very much for that, General. That's a perfect answer. Now, uh, you would have had a, a, a wonderful journey and a nice foundation leading up. But at one point, you made a big decision in your life. You walked into a Canadian Forces recruiting center Take us from there and maybe a little bit through your career. Well, yeah, so so I didn't actually walk in. So I don't know, when I was, I've said this a bunch of times. When I was eight or nine years old, I was already starting to read military history. And I loved it. And I loved the idea and fell in love with being a soldier. I'm not sure I knew exactly what a soldier was and what a soldier did, but it appealed to me in an incredible manner. And I think I was about eight and a half or nine years old when I wrote to a recruiting center that was in Gander at the time and, and asked for some information. And, and, and they wrote back and tried to recruit me, not knowing my age, obviously, and kind of stayed in contact and then uh, contacted them a little later when I was in uh, the last year of high school, which in those days was grade 11, and ended up uh, going to St. John's, doing my uh, processing for application. And from there, a little while down the road, joined the Canadian Forces as an officer candidate in the regular officer training program. And since I was already started at Memorial, I continued my education at Memorial, and that's where my degree came from. And in fact, I was incredibly privileged so many years later when I retired from the military to be asked by Premier Danny Williams to come back and be the chancellor at Memorial, which I did for five years and enjoyed tremendously. 
uh, went to Memorial University, uh, did a degree in Bachelor of Science, and and during the summertime, I, I went off and did my training to, first of all, basic training in Chilliwack, New Brunswick, uh, Chilliwack, British Columbia, sorry. And I said to somebody just recently, you know, all I really remember about that, I remember the, the incredible uh, challenges that we had physically and discipline-wise and those kinds of things. But all I really remember was, you know, pumping my my butt up uphill in the rain with a rucksack on it and then sliding downhill in that same rain in British Columbia uh, with that rucksack still on me and, and doing it time after time after time. There was so much more, I must admit. You know, I was 17 years old. Uh, I don't think I even shaved at that stage. And one day on parade, you know, Sergeant Side Clayton, one of my heroes, said, Mr. Hillier, did you shave today? Dave, why would I shave? Well, I can assure you that after that day, I shaved every single day. I went off to basic training uh, did and, and selected my classification. I wanted to become an armored an armored reconnaissance officer, a tank officer. Uh, went to Gagetown, New Brunswick during the summertime. Uh, finished that memorial when I was just turning 20 and moved to Gagetown, New Brunswick and finished off my training. Uh, so, you know, I didn't walk into a recruiting center, more to recruiting center almost came to me via the mail to start with. And I did talk to a recruiter who came to visit our high school, Greenwood High in, in Camelton, and had an opportunity to talk to him. I still remember him. He was a fighter pilot. And talking to him about what soldiers did and the Army did was kind of like talking to a stranger about it because he really wasn't a soldier. He wasn't in the Army for sure. But there you go. That was my path I followed. And look, and I'll say this because I really believe it, you know, I spent 35 years, three months, two days, and 14 hours wearing a uniform of Canada. I loved wearing that, that maple leaf on my left shoulder. I loved every single minute of that time. There were minutes I did not like, but I never stopped loving being a soldier. Never wanted to do anything else in my life, really, beyond be that soldier. I thought I was a soldier before I joined and put the uniform on. I was a soldier for all of that time, wearing the uniform, and I still consider myself a soldier now, even though I do not wear a uniform, I try to support in a variety of ways and try to contribute to our nation in a variety of ways right now. So that was really my career path uh, up to getting uh, classified as a trained armor officer uh, in the Canadian, Canadian Armed Forces uh, in the Army and then going off to join my first regiment in Petawawa, Ontario. Well, there's no doubt about it. Anybody I've ever talked to you said you're a soldier, soldier. So you were... You were quite a quite a man to have around. So, uh, General, the next part of the conversation, I want to talk to you a little bit about St. Bonds and the event that's coming up upon us and why that's so important to you. Well, it is important to me, first of all, because I'm a Newfoundlander, you know, and I was born and grew up and, and everything I am started out in Newfoundland with my family, with the community, with that great province of Newfoundland and Labrador. That's never left me. And, and as my dad used to say, you can take the boy out of the rock. You cannot take the rock out of the boy. And, and so I'm still that Newfoundlander Labradorian. My wife is also. It's important to us to show our support in any way we possibly can. And this is one of those opportunities. But it's also important to show support to St. Bonds, to those who served Canada, to those who served the king uh, prior to that, through the Dominion of Newfoundland and Labrador.
And, and that's really what I want to do. I mean, we all know about the incredible service and sacrifice of Newfoundlanders during World War One. Most people know much less about what occurred in World War Two. But again, there was incredible service and sacrifice, albeit in a different manner in World War Two. And of course, since that time, and after Newfoundland and Labrador joined Canada in Confederation in 1949, Newfoundlanders in the tens of thousands and really probably the hundreds of thousands have continued to serve Canada, continue to serve Canadians and Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, and continue to serve you know, peace-loving folks around the world by joining the Canadian forces. I got the benefit of that. I got the benefit of having literally thousands of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians in the Canadian Armed Forces, those individuals who grew up, who were independent of thought, who did things instead of talking about things, who, who could operate during the worst kind of weather and conditions. I mean, let's face it, if you waited for perfect weather in Newfoundland to go trout fishing or go out and boat or something, you probably never would do any of those things. So you got used to it. And, and then you brought that to service to Canada and the Canadian Forces. And so they led others when others would, you know, be quailing in front of that kind of weather or those horrible conditions, Newfoundlanders stood out as leading the way. And, and, and I got the benefit of working with people who have this incredible, practical, pragmatic sense of humor. And, you know, in times of stress, and whether that's when you're under fire, uh, facing an enemy or, or, or anything else that you can imagine, in times of stress, one of the most important tools to be able to deal with it is a sense of humor. And, you know, when you get stressed, your muscles tighten up and that restricts your blood flow. And because your blood flow to your brain is now restricted, you can't see as far. And you get that tunnel vision that people talk about when you're, when, you know, a police officer or a soldier goes into combat. And, and, and if you have a sense of humor, or somebody around you has a sense of humor and cracks a joke during that stressful time or does something funny or stupid, quite frankly, which is then funny, it is far more humor during a time of stress than otherwise. And all of a sudden you laugh and you laugh far, far more than, than that joke or that action deserves. But when you have that belly laugh, it relaxes your muscles, your blood flow increases, and all of a sudden, you know, that that blindfold sort of opens back up and you can see and you can think and you make good decisions. Newfoundlanders have that sense of humor, even under times of stress. And Newfoundlanders love working with people. Uh, I, I've never seen a group across our nation, really around the world, who can come into a group and bring that ability to do things, ability to do things instead of talking about doing things under stress with a sense of humor and help build a powerful team. And we in the Canadian Forces, of course, live by teams and i got to, to to appreciate all of that i don't think newfoundlanders and labradorians understand enough of what their ancestors and their sons and daughters right now do to serve canada and the canadian armed forces and how incredibly valuable they are and what an impact they make i'd like to be able to talk a little bit about that when i come back and help people appreciate the kind of sacrifices that have been made and the kind of service and sacrifice that we're now getting from newfoundlanders right across that great province of ours to serve Canada and therefore serve the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. That's what I want to do at St. Bonds on 9 May. General Hillier, I, I just want to jump in there. Thank you for that. That's fantastic. I can tell you this. I walked by the plaque. I think there's a plaque we're going to talk about. Uh, we interviewed Richard Cashin, whose grandfather put the plaque up in 1921. 
I walked by that every day when I was at St. Bonds, and I don't think I gave it one second's thought. How important is it to you to bring to the general public and to the young people of St. Bonds and those you speak to on uh, that May night? How important it is is it to recognize these people? Well, well, let me let me come to that in a second and say, sadly. Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are not unique in Canada of ignoring our military history, of ignoring our service to others, of ignoring servant leadership. And, and you, you gentlemen know exactly what I'm talking about when you talk about servant leadership here. And, and so it's one of those incredible things. Here's what I do believe. Every road we take in life is, is lined by those who have gone before us. And if we ignore what they have done, we fail to take the, the, the best opportunity in our lives in the world to learn from what they did to learn from what their sacrifices gave it and why it was so important to do what they did. And you go back, you know, to World War One, and you look at the fact that they learned very quickly how strong and how powerful a team was as opposed to an individual. They learned very quickly in the in the Newfoundland Regiment at Beaumont Hamel and at Monchy Le and all the other places where they fought. They learned very quickly. It didn't matter who you were as long as you actually did your job. And yellow diversity was different then but it was still diversity. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter whether you were from the outport or whether you were a townie, you came together and worked as a team and it was far more powerful to work as a team than as individuals. And 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 we realized when these, these gentlemen who came home, supported by the incredible women who also served, they came back with a confidence which allowed our province to get through some of the worst times in history, the failure of the cod fishery and you know, influenza, 1918, 1919, 1920, the failure of the cod fishery, 1919, 1920, uh, the Great Depression in the late 20s, and then bankruptcy in the 30s. And really, the only reason we got through that incredibly harsh time was because of the confidence and the leadership from those who came back who had earned it and learned it and, and instilled it in themselves and their battle buddies on the battlefields of France and Belgium. And I think if we fail to learn from that and learn how important it is to protect our democracy and how important it is to work together as teams and how important it is to treat people just as part of a team based on the differences and use that to be much stronger, uh, we will have failed to take the lessons which cost us nothing right now. And so that's why it's important to me. Our road is lined by those who've gone before us. Appreciate them, respect them, most importantly, learn from them and apply those lessons in everything we do today. General, what are you doing in the moment and why should we pay attention to that? Well, uh, my goodness, what am I doing in the moment? Uh, a whole bunch of things. I do some business. I'm a businessman also here and, and I just say that up front here, but I'm also engaged in a whole variety of things. I try to support our veterans, our soldiers, our troops, their families. And, and when I say soldiers, I mean soldiers and aviators and sailors and special forces troopers and their families in any way I can through organizations like True Patriot Love, uh, Team Rubicon Canada, Project Hero. Uh, I've been in at the ground floor of all of those organizations in one way or another, and I try to support them in any way I possibly can. Uh, that's incredibly important to me. I try to keep a little lever to to the government of Canada with respect to defense and security. It doesn't make any difference, I'm certain, but I just try to say, hey, you can't forget about all these incredibly important things and the Canadian forces role in that and how you have to invest in that Canadian forces, not just money, but time and leadership. And you know, you can't rely, for example, just upon a chief of defense staff to solve all of the problems. 
that chief of defense staff has got to have the support of a prime minister and a government and a cabinet. And it's got to be nonpartisan, that kind of support. I mean, I look at what Australia has done, and I just marvel at that and, and wish we could replicate parts of it here. So I try to do that. But I'm also engaged in the international sphere in support to Ukraine uh, in its hour of greatest need, in its darkest hour. Uh, it, you know, following the invasion just over a year ago, the illegal, brutal, uh, violent invasion of Russia into Ukraine. I was there in the summertime and had the opportunity to meet the, the national command structure there and, and walk through and, and, and be out with their soldiers and visit the battlefield and look at places like Bucha, where the, the executions took place in March of last year and walk around that small little community right on the outskirts of Kiev, a modern community in Europe. And here we're, you know, 107 bodies on the streets that have been bound and just simply executed. And in most cases left like garbage by those Russian troops and walk around with the mayor who was suffering from post-traumatic stress himself, I'm certain, because he had been released by the Russians literally a day prior to those executions taking place. He didn't know why. And, and so I try to support Ukraine in any way I possibly can. I've chaired uh, last year the Strategic Advisory Council uh, to advise Ukraine and how to get the support of international of nations around the world, of international agencies to get the things that they needed for their defense to win that war. Uh, I, I, you know, I've got guys like General Dave Petraeus, General Wes Clark, uh, General Dick Berline, General uh, Mick Ryan out of Australia, uh, part of that Strategic Advisory Council over last year. And we were trying to advise and also advocate on behalf of Ukraine. I think it's really important. We've got a democratic sovereign nation who's being brutalized by a dictatorship who's broken every law of, uh, of war, who, who's committed every atrocity that you can think about, who has destroyed so much of that country and continues to do so. And we in the West need to support it. I want to make sure I advocate, advocate on behalf of Ukraine to ensure that we do give that support and, in fact, increase that support and increase the speed of it and make sure... As I believe, this war is going to end in victory. We want to make sure it's Ukraine's victory, not Russia's victory. That's really one of the things that occupies me emotionally, with a focus on it uh, in a very real way, that that other focus of supporting our, our, our veterans, our troops and their families, and then doing some business. And plus, on top of that, I, I'm retired. <laughs> so so I, I travel and I uh, spend winters away and I try to do all of those things. And oh, yes. I come back to live in Newfoundland for a good portion of the year. Sir, Val, and I just wanted to jump in there on the Ukrainian piece. I'm not sure if you know this. There's 11 students at St. Bonaventure's College right now that are in the bursary program. The proceeds of your speech, your talk at the dinner, go to help those 11 Ukrainian student, students attend school there. That is, that sends cold, cold shivers down my spine. You know that? It does. And look, I look at, I always look at two things from two perspectives. Do what's right. And then there's always a greedy self that you want to do it because you, not I as an individual, but, you know, Canada. Et so in this case, Newfoundland and Labrador, and I talked to Premier Fury about this several times now over the past year, and I just applaud his initiatives. We're going after Ukrainians to come to Newfoundland and Labrador. Number one, because it's right and they're desperate and they're running from all that violence and terror and death and destruction and they got nowhere else to go, bring them to Newfoundland and Labrador. They're young, they're industrious, they can't wait to work, they're, they're, they're just dedicated, you know, and they, and they get down to doing work, right? 
that's awesome because it's the right thing to do to help those who are in their most, as I said earlier, their darkest hour. But from the province's point of view, for Newfoundland and Labrador, we need those young, energetic people to come in from, from Ukraine and to make Newfoundland and Labrador their home and to bring that industry with them when they come and to get involved in our economy and to go through our schooling system and to help keep our pro- province vibrant and give us the kind of a, an economic force in Newfoundland and Labrador that's really challenging and tough to get. To have 11 students at St. Bond's in the bursary program doing that, that's absolutely awesome, exactly what we should be doing. And you know something? We're going to reap the benefits as a province and as Newfoundlanders and Labradorians forever and ever and ever because of that. It's awesome. General, it's been an absolute pleasure to listen to you today, hear your voice your passion and, the, and and your vision for the future of Newfoundland Labrador and our country and indeed the globe. It's, it's been a pleasure of ours to have you on Gale Force Queens. I'm going to ask you uh, a, a story. You asked to relay a story to me and uh, I'm not sure if it's folklore or what is it, but I remember being a young officer working at National Defense Headquarters and you had been uh, on a visit to Afghanistan where a Mother from Newfoundland asked you to give her son a kiss. Is there any truth to this story? I'd like to know firsthand because it ripped through the headquarters. Tell us about that. Well, uh, first of all, the story is true. Uh, It wasn't a mother from Newfoundland, though. So uh, I'll just tell you the story. There's actually a picture, and and occasionally it gets published on Facebook, uh, kind of every year on the anniversary, if you will. I was in Petawawa, and, and I know we had a variety of inter, uh, media up there doing some interviews. The the contingent, the brigade group deployed into Afghanistan during that time frame, I think it was December 06, it was December 06, was out of Petawawa. Uh, they had had a tough fall. They'd had significant casualties. And I went there to meet with a whole bunch of the troops and the family members. And I think Peter Mansbridge was there. And we had a variety of media, and we did this enormous town hall in the 1st Battalion, the Royal Canadian Regiment's uh, drill hall. So uh, literally a 1,000-plus people out there impacted in, and I got a chance to talk to a lot of them, but not all. And, and I'm just literally trying to touch each person because they're all, they are all involved and committed. Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, either them or their family, their loved one that's engaged in Afghanistan and as I was leaving, there were several ladies standing around chatting and, and one reached out and touched my arm and said, hey, sir, my fiance is in uh, Afghanistan. And I said, look, I'm leaving for Afghanistan tomorrow. Who is your fiance? Uh, uh, you know, where is he? And I'll make sure I see him. And she said, sir, he's Master Corporal Jeremy LeBlanc. And uh, my name is Melissa. Uh, we're engaged. And he's in Strong Point uh, Wilson, I believe she said. And I said, look, I'm going to be there on Christmas Eve. I'll make sure I see him. And so I, I said, what do you want me to tell him when I see him? And she said, oh, I don't know, sir. And she reached up and kissed me on the cheek. I said, I got it. So we showed up at Strong, it was Strong Point Center. And we had two or 300 troops in there and, and we were serving them Christmas dinner. It was actually on Christmas day. I got there, not Christmas Eve. And we had two or 300 troops there. I went around, shook all of their hands. I shook the hand of every one of them. I got a chance to look them in the eye. I got a chance to say, thank you. We appreciate what you're doing. You know, Merry Christmas to you. We're going to be, we're behind you. We're going to support you here. And really, I also got a chance to look into their eyes and just judge how they were doing. And I was really comforted by what I saw. Their leadership was so powerful. And 
the last guy I got to, they had set him up for me was Master Corporate Jeremy LeVon. I shook his hand and I, and and he said, yes. And I said, who are you? And he said, I'm Master Corporal LeBlanc, sir. And I said, you Jeremy LeBlanc? And he said, I'm still holding his hand. And he said, yes, sir. And I said, look that way, buddy. And he did. I reached over and kissed him on the cheek to the great laughter, I got to tell you, of the other 250 troops in Strong Point Center. And I said, that's from your fiance, Melissa. Now, here's a follow-up of the story. There was a Dutch photographer in amongst our troops, and he was wearing a set of coveralls that looked much like our camouflage pattern uniform for the desert. I didn't recognize him. I didn't know he was there. He took a picture of it. And uh, that picture gets published on Facebook once in a while by Melissa and now her husband of, I don't know, some 15 years with two young teenage boys. Uh, he's now a warrant officer. She's a sergeant, by the way, in the Canadian Armed Forces. And they still tell that story and still actually makes me feel really good. And it was just a thing to do. You know, she was very real. He was very real. He won the Medal of Bravery in Afghanistan just prior to me getting there for a firefight in which his section commander was killed. And he took over in the middle of the firefight although wounded himself, and just incredible Canadians. And I had the opportunity to be part of their life, but more importantly to me, they were part of my life and helped shape me going forward there. So the story is correct, a uh, little, little nuances, uh, but yeah, it's correct. And uh, I've always, uh, I was kind of amused by having done it. Could you do that now? I'm not so sure. I probably would. <laughs> well, you tell a story of great Canadians, sir, but you're a great Canadian yourself. And thank you very much for being a part of Gale, for Gale Force Winds. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Alan and Jerry, thank you. Uh, real pleasure. And I look forward to being in St. Bonds on the uh, on the 9th. And we're going to have an awesome event there. And we're going to raise some money. And anybody who's watching, I encourage you to attend and to attend and contribute. Just think of those bursaries for 11 Ukrainian students. And they're going to make a difference in our province forever and ever and ever. St. Bonds is at the forefront of leading that initiative. And Newfoundlanders and Labradorians can step up. That's fantastic. Uh, General, thank you very much. Gale Force Winds is uh, so pleased to have you. I'm just going to reiterate. It's the annual military tribute dinner in honor of St. Bonds graduates who served in the military in support of the bursary program. Tuesday, May 9th, 2023. Royal Canadian Legion, Pleasantville, Branch 56. The address is 66 the Boulevard, St. John's, Newfoundland. There is a meet and greet. So at, that's at six o'clock. VIP ticket holders and doors open for general admission at 630. The dinner is at seven. Um, we'll put a link up so that everybody can find out how they can get a hold of the people that are organizing this at St. Bonds. Guest speaker, General Rick Hillier. That's just a taste of what you're in for. Thank you, General. My pleasure, Jerry and Alan. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for tuning in to Gale Force Winds. That's Gale Force Winds, W-I-N-S dot com.